is our prayer today. Encore on that, uh, my lighthouse. But, uh, I didn't. We're still talking about brokenness uh, today. And uh, we have one more in this series and then Father's Day and then there'll be a new series. I'm not sure what it's going to be right yet. I'm playing around with a couple of things. But today, uh, the message is just another day in the desert. Just another day. You know, we... we, uh, we sometimes can get caught in that. You get the, the alarm rings and you probably have it already planned out what your day is going to look like. And you get up and you brush your teeth and get ready and grab something to eat, get in the car, take off, go to work, do that what you knew you had to do. Five o'clock rolls around, you go home, get comfortable, cook the meal, go to bed. Just another day. But when God intervenes, he, watch out because he does some incredible things, and we're going to see that in Exodus 3, 1 through 10. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Now, remember at this time who Moses was. Remember who he was, where he came from. Now he is tending his father-in-law's sheep. who was the priest of Midian, he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Uh, <coughs> that, you highlight that, the angel of the Lord. That's uh, very, very important. We're going to talk on that in a minute. Though the bu- and Moses stared in amazement. Through the bu- though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses! Moses! Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. We should have sang that today. We'll do that another time. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Sound like brokenness? There's brokenness all over here. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Brokenness isn't forever, is it? 
It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites, a lot of ites, now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. <laughs> Just another day in the desert. A little background. Exodus 3 is the continuing journey of God to set his people Israel free. And Moses failed in his own power to set people free. He fled to the desert and it seemingly to live a normal life. And you recall that, that uh, Moses didn't leave town on the best of terms, having killed a, an Egyptian and tried to cover it up. But I think you need to remember that while he fled to the desert and seems to be leading a normal life, failure does not disqualify you from being used of God. Failure does not disqualify you from being used of God. The world tells us that we're of no use because we've failed in the past. And that's a lie. Moses is about to find out that God uses broken things. Soil must be broken to produce a crop. The pot of Gideon, the pots of Gideon had to be broken so light could come through. Peter had to be broken of his pride in order to be restored and humbly do what God had chosen him to do. Psalm 51, 16 through 17 says, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. God doesn't want sacrifices that come from pride or from self-reliance. He wants us flat of our faces, seeking His face. He wants us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, broken over our sin and rebellion against His holiness. And Paul gives a vivid picture of what we are as people in 2 Corinthians 4.7. He says, now we have this light shining in our hearts. And he's talking about believers here. We ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Those, those fragile clay pots refer to uh, the body, our physical body. And, and you may be brittle, fine, bone china. You may chip and break easily. You know, there's, there's things in your life that, that uh, uh, rattle you and things that can come up and you just, it just chips away at you and, and bothers you but you're still useful, just, just a little chipped. You may be a beat up and scarred hunk of pottery, just a, just a bowl that doesn't have much use for decoration, but it's very useful for, the, for its intended purpose, to hold water or hold something. And the amazing thing is, it isn't the condition of the pot, but the value of what's in it. It doesn't make any difference if you're fine china, easily broken. It doesn't make any difference if, you, if you're uh, cracked and chipped off a little bit. It doesn't make any difference if you're this scarred and, and, and cracked and beat up bowl that holds water. 
It isn't about that. It's what's inside. One of my hospice patients, call him Al. Al was an architect and, and uh, he, was, he was depressed and, and felt worthless when I first met him. And he was, he was in, and he is in for uh, the reason of uh, dementia. And as we talked, I found that he was the founding partner of a major architectural firm in Omaha. And <clears throat> he designed the downtown University of Nebraska Medical Center. If you've ever been to Omaha, that was Al's. That's not his real name. That was his design, or the 45-story First National Bank Tower. And, and that's the largest uh, building in Omaha today. That was Al's design. And while we talked about his earthly accomplishments, I, I led him to a point of discussion regarding his spiritual life. He was this tremendous powered force in the world of architecture. This beautiful pot, but there was nothing inside it. It's empty barren and I told him that he needed to the reason his, he was struggling with his with his uh, depression was he there, there, was, there was a hole that, that only Jesus could fill and I got to talking about that and, and the devil just zoomed in there in a, in a flash and the dementia kicked in didn't remember who I was, didn't remember the conversation we had. He just started mumbling to himself. I'll get to see him again. But the treasure in our clay pots, the treasure that needs to be in Al's clay pot, is the light and glory of Christ's salvation. The dings and dents and cracks allow others to see that beauty shine through us out into the world. So here was Moses out in the boondocks taking care of somebody else's sheep. And I imagine he felt like a useless pot. You remember who he was. Raised a son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was taught and trained. Second most powerful guy in the kingdom. And then he was forgotten. Out in the backside of the country. Tending his father-in-law's sheep. And Exodus 3 gives us an up-close-and-personal uh, up look at how God views and chooses to use us. And the thing that, that I want us to look at is that idea of it's just another day. Moses had gone 40 years without a word for God, from God. Just another day. Just another day because he didn't bother to find the Word of God. He didn't bother to find God himself and lift up his eyes, lift up his hands and worship him. Just another day. He probably told his sheep good night, laid down to rest, and when he woke up, it's just another day with those sheep. Washed his face, had his breakfast, counted the sheep, went to the office to do whatever shepherds do. I don't believe he had an office. I think he was out there with the sheep. I don't know how you picture this bush that came about, but the word in the Hebrew simply means a thorny shrub. Just an old, prickly bush. Nothing fancy about it. Nothing that would attract your attention. Moses had probably seen thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of these bushes 
out in the desert where he kept the sheep. There's something different. Verse 2 says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement through the bush. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. The angel of the Lord. Anybody remember what that is? Anybody remember what that is? A word that long. What? 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 A theophany. What is it? A theophany? No, a theophany. That's, oh, she is a brilliant child. A theophany. A theophany is the, the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. The angel, not an, an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. Came to earth before he was born. Theophany. And as Moses looked, he saw that the, burst, that the bush was on fire and it didn't burn up. And uh, it seems to me like, like Moses had no idea God was in the bush. He simply was curious about what he was seeing. And again, it wasn't the bush that was so special. It was what was inside the bush. It's not the pot that's so special. It's what's inside our pot. God is going to use ordinary things in an extraordinary way to get our attention. Forty years, no conversation, no communication with God, and God had enough. He says, okay, watch this. And that's the sound of a bush burning. Repeat after me. Oh, that's close enough. Burning bush. And then God is speaking from it. And some will call this a coincidence. It's actually God's divine providence. Rather than calling the, the National Enquirer to get somebody down there to report on it, we should be asking ourselves, what is God trying to tell me or teach me in this moment? I don't know any of you have burning bushes. Once upon a time, we had a dead possum in the bottom of our trailer. thing was huge when we... And it, I'm not going into the gory details, but it smelled. And I thought, you know, a mouse, it's going to smell a while, then they'll... So I left town. And this thing, every time I called up, and I was going to be gone a week, Sarita was saying, I can't, I can't be in our bedroom. This stench is horrible. What was God trying to do? We got home and I found out about it and I got some help and we got rid of it. But what was God trying to teach me in that experience? In the trying moments of our life, in those broken relationships, in that, in that broken trust that we have with a spouse, in that, in that time where the job that we're in is, is just dead end and we hate it, what is God trying to teach us? through those moments is it just another day because the bush was such an oddity Moses says in verse 3 this is amazing Moses said to himself why isn't that bush burning up I must go see it and he didn't see any the theological or life changing meaning in it it was just curiosity and if you pay close attention it's at this moment that God chose to speak to Moses in verse 4 when the Lord saw Moses coming to the, take a closer look God called him from the middle of the bush Moses! Moses! And he replied, Here I am. 
And, and do you realize how hard it is for God to get people to simply look? How hard it is for God to get our attention sometimes when we're caught up with the, the me in us? All type of tragedies and disaster we hear about, the global and social, financial and personal, physical and mental, car wrecks, plane crashes, hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis, terrorist attacks, health problems, the loss of loved ones. How do we respond? Eh, just another day. Or do we seek, what is God teaching me in this moment of tragedy? How do we respond? Shrug it off and chalk it up to a coincidence? No, if you weren't God, if, if you, if you say, I was lucky to get out of that one, and you weren't, God brought you out by his strong right arm, and the burning bush, and you missed it. That lost job was not bad luck, it was the burning bush of God. I believe the reasons so many Christians never hear from God is because they never take time out from their busy schedule to seek God's face, to look at that burning bush, to schedule and turn, to get away from their schedule, to turn and look at the bush that God set on fire just for you. What's it going to take to get his attention? I'm sure God says that to me, about me. What have I got to do to get his attention? What will finally convince you to stop your tracks and turn aside and consider what just happened? So when God said Moses twice, it, it strikes a chord here. Why, did he have, why did, couldn't he just say, hey, Moses, Moses, Moses? And, and the way the language uh, in, the, in the Hebrew works, this was a term of endearment. It wasn't that he was... Uh, trying to get Moses' attention, he was saying to Moses, you are a special person. You're my friend. I love you. A term of endearment. Moses would have understood immediately that he was being addressed by someone who loved him and was concerned about him. And his reply was, he ni nai. He ni nai. Here I am. Here I am. Lord, here I am. The cracked, beat up, chipped, maybe even an empty pot. God says, I'm going to fill it. Here I am. Without yet identifying himself, God began to teach Moses about the holy nature of his presence. And the theme of the divine presence is a major topic in Exodus. It's often emphasized by commands requiring distance from God so as not to intrude too far on his holiness. In 1923, Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you have warned us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. And so God gives Moses some clear instruction here. He says, keep a proper distance away from the fire and take off your sandals. There's many references in the Bible about taking off your sandals. And none has any connection with holiness except this one in Exodus 3. Only time it references God is found in, in, in Exodus 3. Presumably, taking off shoes was done when entering the presence of an important person or their house or 
or had any connection with, with someone uh, who was like a king or in a palace or even in a tent. Sinai is identified as Yahweh's place. The very ground is holy. Something said of no other location in the Bible. Sinai is holy ground. And there's no shooting star, no neon signs that said, God is going to speak to you today. It was just another day in the desert. And he looks and he does a double take and he sees this bush burning. And it doesn't burn up. You know, it's not, lightning didn't strike it. Uh, chariot dragging its chains, causing sparks, didn't set it ablaze. God was in that bush. Moses' day was so normal that if he had a calendar, he would have marked off another day as, here I am, Jethro's assistant shepherd. Not even my own sheep. And what we can easily miss is that God loves stepping directly into the ordinary days of our lives to do some amazing things. He shows up in an otherwise normal routine day and speaks to ordinary routine people. Just another day. And God says, I love those just another days. Because just another day is the very place that I'm going to touch your life, that I'm going to set you on fire, that I am going to make you something special. I'm going to do something incredible in your life in this ordinary day with this ordinary person in an extraordinary way. The Bible tells us that Jesus' return is going to be this way in Matthew 24, 37 through 39. It says, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Go back in Genesis and read what was going on in the, in the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And then they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of man be. People will be going about their daily business oblivious to the coming of Jesus Christ. He doesn't need to announce or put up a billboard, hey, get ready today, your life is going to change. And some of you came here expecting to sing and hear a sermon and didn't realize, did not realize that God in some way is changing your life and going to change your life forever. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's one, maybe there's a dozen God is going to change your life forever. Be ready, because he enters into those ordinary days. He's saying, here's what I want you to be, here's what I want you to do. And the second thing is, just another bush. Isn't it amazing how God can use our curiosity? What I want you to recognize here is that Moses was not curious about religion. It would be easy to make a leap and say he was curious about God and curious about religion. No, that's not how it went down. This was just another day in the desert taking care of the sheep. But watch God's amazing object lesson for Moses, that bush, an ordinary thing, having something supernatural done to it. And God started revealing himself. The moment God spoke, Moses came face to face, face to face with his destiny. Forty years camping out with these miserable sheep that aren't even mine. Forty years. God says, I've got something special for you to do, son. 
And he says, here I am, Lord. Here, I'm here, Lord. And Moses didn't pull out his resume and say, it's about time you found me, Lord, 40 years. I mean, look at what I've done. Look at what, look at what happened in the, in, the, in the past. And he's finally humbled and broken and ready to be filled with God's fire. And God is not impressed with anything about us. Nothing. He's examining our humility and sensitivity and our availability. And here's something, friends, that can sting a little bit. Because it stings me. If a person is struggling with pride, God is not impressed in what we did yesterday. That was yesterday. And yesterday's gone. I think that was a Jan and Dean song. <laughs> I loved you yesterday, but yesterday's gone. Anyway, God's not impressed with that could care less about yesterday. Yeah, but Lord, I did this. And yeah, Lord, but I did that. And, and you know when I did this and when I used to do that? And God says, yeah, fine. Loved you for that. Blessed you for that. <laughs> but what have you done for me today? My spiritual dad used to tell me when I'd get full of myself, Johnny, that's great, but what have you done for God lately? Nothing. Well, start doing something because yesterday's gone. Your destiny for God's kingdom is not based on the vessel, but the treasure that God put, desires to put in. Then God says in verse 5, Don't come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. If you study ancient Eastern customs, this shows respect for the owner of the house. Holy ground is God is, is trying to teach Moses that, that holy ground is separated ground. That while Moses is meeting with God, God wants him to separate himself from life. Separate himself from that ordinary day. Separate himself from the sheep, from his father-in-law, from all the distractions and all the responsibilities that he has. So it wasn't, he, God wants his undivided attention. Friends, that's what he wants from me and you. He wants our undivided attention. And when we do that, He's going to start using us. John, I'm too old. I'm too crippled up. Jerry and I, I we, we, uh, uh, we should write a book on how you, you torture your poor old pastor. <laughs> but but it's, uh, we, we, have, we have fun in, in that of, of, of the, the years that, that we, we were able to, to minister. And, and now we're slowing down, kind of broken up. Cracks are chipping off, and, and yet, my brother, that light is shining through that cracked pot. <laughs> and that's not a put-down. <laughs> You're broken up. And those holes, those life holes, the rocks that people have thrown at you and you've fallen down, those holes that we all have in our body, if we're living the life of, for Jesus Christ, it's shining through us. Yeah, but I can't do anything. Yeah, you can. If all it is is allowing God to use you to shine through you, that's enough, because it may lead to someone wanting to know more about him. What is it about you that's so special? I mean, look at you. Look at you, old man. You're broken down, can't even wear a belt. You've got to wear suspenders to hold up your britches. What in the world? How is God using that? Oh, man, he's using it mightily. You know, that is the, the, the Facebook preacher. You ought to, if, if you... If you uh, want to be blessed, tune in on Jerry. 
Okay, I, I'm making his head way too big now. Verse 6 says, I am the God your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Those, those were heroes of the Bible. And look closely at each one of these men. Each of them had to be humbled. They were broken men. Broken, just like God is breaking each of us if we're allowing to. Each had to be humbled so that God could exalt them. Moses hid his face and would not look at God. What was the problem? Moses wanted to see him. God wanted to see Moses as the God of failure, see him as a man of failure, mess-ups and, and, and mistakes and all. God wanted to see that, that he indeed was the God of failures, of mistakes, of the mess-ups. He delights in restoring. He delights in allowing that light to shine through us. And, and God began to reveal Moses' destiny. And friends, you'll never see yourself rightly until you clearly see God. Until you have that face-to-face meeting, meeting with God. And if you look at Exodus 3, 7 through 8, God's clearly telling Moses, I know what's happening to my people in Egypt. Because this was this a burden on Moses' heart for, for 40 years. He, almost 40, 39 years or so, 40 years. He was with those people. The Egyptians were his people. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people uh, I have, I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites and, and Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, and Hivites and Jebusites now live. God knows exactly where you are and exactly what you're going through. He knows those trials and troubles. He understands Well, then why isn't he doing anything? Well, he's not ready and you're not ready. But he's given you the ability to continue to let your light shine. And the devil wants us to think think that, uh, hey, I've been around you people since the Garden of Eden. Remember? It's written in the book. Remember, if God really loved you, he wouldn't have allowed this snake to cause any problems. In fact, God doesn't care. Take it from me. I was there. I've been there. My nose has been in it from the beginning. And I'm telling you, God doesn't care. And he keeps whispering to that. God doesn't care because you're a mess. God doesn't care because you're a failure. God doesn't care because you've had this chance and this chance and this chance and this chance and you've messed up miserably and God doesn't care. But He does. He cares huge. Because it's not just another day and it's not just a burning bush. Then He said, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians have abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. You must lead my people. Now he was a shepherd. You don't drive sheep. You lead sheep. You don't drive people. You lead people. You don't skin the sheep. They'll die. 
You shear them, and that's good for them. Good shepherd doesn't skin his congregation. He loves them, cares for them, leads them. What's Moses trying to say to us? He says, before you fell from grace in Egypt, before you became a lowly shepherd, you weren't humble or able to be filled, Moses. In fact, you were so full of yourself, there is no way you could be full of me. Closing, God's looking for bushes that will burn for his glory. God's not looking for special vessels or special bushes. God's looking for bushes ready to burn and vessels ready to be filled. The beauty of God's plan for us doesn't matter how dry and thorny the bush of your life is or how cracked and broken your vessel is. As I look at this experience Moses had with God, I see three things. Some things we need to avoid if we're to burn and be filled. Don't run before you're sent. God didn't send Moses to be with the sheep. Don't run away after you failed. Killed a man. Took off. Don't have a mouthful of excuses when you're ready to be called. Let's pray. Lord, we've got some burning bushes in here. We've got some pots that uh, are beat up and cracked, holes in them, barely hanging together. That you, Lord, know them and love them. And I ask that they are all willing, each and every